0: This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. You can pick them up at the top of the kids' zone stairs in the lobby. Thank you. Would you please uh, stand, if you are able, and join me in the reading of God's Word. Today, if you are reading from the Blue Pew Bible, we are on page 801 in Matthew, whoops, 28. We're not on page 801. We're on page 811. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Morning, would you just join with me in prayer this morning? And I just want to say thank you to our seniors and to into Derek and our third grader here. So let, let's just celebrate God this morning as we approach His Word. God, thank you so much. Thank you, Father, for every senior that was mentioned here on stage and our third grader who is going on to the next stage of our Kids Zone. I, I just pray that you would bless them. God, as I looked at every senior this morning, I just thought, wow, look at what you're doing. Look at what you're doing through leaders who are pouring into them, leaders such as Dory and so many other youth group leaders who are pouring time, talent, and energy within them. Father, I pray that your spirit would continue to work and minister to their hearts. As they enter this next chapter of their life, we thank you so much for them. And we thank you most of all for your word that we get to sit before. We just want to sit at your feet this morning and we want to glean from from your word. And so God, as we come together as a body, may your spirit reside here. May you minister to us and may our hearts be full of joy. It's in the mighty name. Of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Hey, I'm, I'm Pastor John. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at CRC, and good morning to you all, and good morning to those who are watching online as well. I was listening to a sermon uh, by John Tyson uh, the other week, and, and he shared this story about Eastern Flight 401, And so I did some research myself on that flight that crashed in the Everglades in Florida in December of 1972. As the plane was making its descent from New York to Miami, a light went on in 1972 that indicated that the landing gear wasn't functioning properly. they were in Florida, and they were looking to descend to make a safe landing. And there was a problem. The, the landing gear light went on. And what transpired after that caused things to really spiral out of control. The pilot put on Um, or put the plane rather in autopilot, that's usually never a good sign, as a team of people suddenly drew their focus to fixing the landing gear. So all of a sudden in this cockpit, now the pilots were focusing on the landing gear issue instead of focusing on flying the plane. And unfortunately... This was a problem, as you could imagine. They ended up descending to a dangerous altitude, and the warning chime was not heard because they were focusing on the landing gear. The National Transportation Safety Board, therefore, theorized that the pilot had probably nudged the control column as he turned to talk to someone about going into the avionics bay to check the landing gear, which accidentally probably nudged the aircraft into a lower trajectory. And then when it was on autopilot, it just continued on that lower trajectory. The plane spiraled down into the Florida Everglades before a pilot could make up for the trajectory. In a sad twist, the landing gear was actually found to be down exactly as it should have been, meaning the crash was effectively caused by two burnt-out light bulbs. The crash, tragically, in 1972, cost the lives of 103 people. My point in sharing that story, as we preface what we're going to look at this morning, is the descent for churches is often a slow and avoidable one. It can happen when the church's focus gets off the main thing in order to focus on side problems that may not actually, in fact, be real problems. They may just be like those bulbs that are out. Actually, those things are doing okay. And sometimes what happens is people like us Who should be involved in flying the plane actually all turn our attention to something else. And as you could imagine, churches, and in this illustration, planes can descend pretty rapidly over time. Our mission, as you may know, is plastered on the wall of our church. Our mission is making more and better disciples. If you go downstairs to our kids' zone area, you just look uh, across, our kids' zone check-in area rather, you just look across the wall there, you may forget that it even exists. I challenge you as you leave this morning, if you exit out of these doors, look at that mission. And I hope that that mission doesn't just become something we just casually walk by as we go about our Sunday morning routine, but it would be something that we actually internalize and we focus on as a church. This sermon this morning, uh, we've called it Disciple Cycles and, and really what was a spin-off of an old Lecrae song from 2006 called After the Music Stops. And he said, I'm out to take the Bible and make disciples who make disciples, disciple cycles. And so if you didn't think nothing good came out of hip hop, you're wrong, all right? That's the mission here. And those are our marching orders as we have in our teaching text this morning in Matthew 28. So uh, I just want us to look again at Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. Let's look again slowly at these words from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he is about to make his ascent to the throne. Starting at verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit in teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord, make disciples. Now in English, there are several verbs in that sentence for my linguistic Minded people out here, okay? There's several verbs. There's go, there's make disciples, there's baptize, there's teach. But in the original language, which is the Greek language, there's actually only one verb in that statement that Jesus shared, and it's make disciples. And it's just one word in the Greek that we translate make disciples. All the other words that are translated as verbs are actually. Participles. And they're participles that help to modify or point to the verb. They are called, and I've heard too much of this over the last two semesters, they are called adverbial participles. Welcome to high school English class. Okay? So make disciples is the main verb in all the other things. The the go, the teaching, the baptizing all of those are participles that point to making disciples. So make disciples is the main thing that Jesus is saying. That that is what the Greek author here, Matthew, is pointing out. This was the main focus. Everything else we do points to that, or at least it should, whether it's going, whether it's baptizing, whether it's teaching, It points to making disciples for everything we do. If it doesn't exist to help make disciples, then our focus might be on the landing gear issue and not on flying the plane. But one thing we're also good at in church culture, and I know this because I fail in this area all too often, is assuming that everyone knows the language of the Bible, And so we use language that some may not fully understand. So let's start this morning with this first question. What is a disciple? It's important. What is a disciple? If you've been in church, you probably recognize the term, but the reality is so many people who are outside of the church have no idea what this term means. You're not using this and others outside of the church are not using the term disciple in their everyday vocabulary. One way I know this is because when I'm on my Word document typing, and I've done a lot of that in the last six, seven years, when I'm on my Word document typing and I try to type in discipling, the stupid Word document always auto-corrects it to discipline. And so sometimes when I get up here and sometimes I won't catch it, I'll say, that sounds weird. Why did I write discipline? And then I realize going back, like, no, I wrote discipling in the Word document, auto-corrected it to discipline. The the, the word that we translate as disciple is a word that the Hebrew people, the Jewish people knew quite well. It's the word Talmud in, in Hebrew. The word Talmud. It was quite a common word in the first century. It was a part of their everyday vocabulary, you could say. A Talmud was, was kind of like a student, but it was much more than that. A Talmud was, was much more than a student. Let, let me explain. Aspiring Jewish religious and community leaders would find a rabbi, or a teacher, and it was often someone they wanted to be like, right? We used to have this saying, like, I want to be like Mike, right? So what would kids do? They wouldn't study what Michael Jordan knows. They wouldn't uh, try to study all of the concepts that he has about basketball, per se. What would students do if, if you wanted to be like Mike? You'd go out and play ball. Right, you would look at Mike's highlights, this was before YouTube, now it's way easier, and you would try to make a fadeaway shot like Michael Jordan made, right? You you would try to do a a crossover like Michael Jordan. You, You would try to aspire to be like Mike and in turn act like Mike. But that's what a Talmud, in a sense, was. It wasn't simply a student who just wanted to know what Mike knew, It was a person who wanted to be like their teacher. Sitting at their feet, they would. Aspiring Jewish religious community leaders would find a rabbi, someone they wanted to be like, whose cause they believed in, and you would then go and you would sit at their feet. And what would happen is is that they would pepper you with questions. They would ask you all of these questions. They would kind of test you out a little bit. And, and if you seemed worthy, if you seemed fit to be a Talmud, they would allow you to follow them closely as they live their life. And one New Testament scholar, Ray Vanderland, he said this, a disciple did not merely want to know what his master knew, but do what his master did. A disciple did not merely want to know what his master knew, but, but rather wanted to do what his master did. Supposedly, the highest compliment that you could give a disciple was to say, the dust of your rabbi is all over you. Th- that is to say, you're walking so closely to your rabbi, to your teacher, that his dust is all over you you were following his path so closely, whatever your rabbi stepped in, you could say splashed on you. So again, a disciple did not merely want to know what his master knew, but they wanted to do what his master did. A disciple of Jesus, likewise, is someone who doesn't simply wanna know Jesus' teachings. They simply don't wanna know all of the teachings just to know them. We want to know the teachings, of course, but rather a Talmud or a disciple of Jesus. In its truest form, is someone who wants to do what Jesus did. We want to live like Jesus. The word Christian literally means Christ-like, Christ-likeness. We want to be like Christ. We want to love like Christ. We want to act selflessly like Christ. This is what it means to be a disciple. In the book of Acts, the verb make disciples is used to describe both the initial act of helping someone first come to the faith, right? That's through proclamation oftentimes. I would say 99.99% of the times we proclaim, we teach someone says, I want that. I wanna come to Jesus. And so so the term disciple does first mean helping that initial response to coming to faith in Christ, and with that comes baptism, depending on where we're at in terms of covenant baptism, infant baptism, or belief. Doesn't even matter really in the grand scheme of things. It matters the fact that they're baptized, whether it's baby, whether it's adult, it matters because it's a mark of the covenant. But then the word disciple and the term making disciples actually means something much more than just the initial part. We're good often at the initial part. We could be attractional enough and really be good at drawing people in to get them baptized and then they go on with their lives. But the term making disciples actually means much more than that. It means that you walk with them Training them like a rabbi would train a Talmud. That you would walk with them, loving them, sharing with them, teaching them through your life and through your words what it means to live like Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple, pouring your life into someone else's life. This is what a disciple maker is. Let me show you a picture of a man who discipled me and allowed me to share a little bit of what that looked like, allow me to share a little bit. This man right here to the left is is Aaron Clark. That's his beautiful wife, Pam Clark. Just to know how tight I was with this couple, I walked both my birth mother down the aisle and Pam down the aisle for our wedding some eight years ago. This man poured his life into me for a period of about six years. I followed him close enough for a season to where if he was stepping in a puddle, I was going to get wet because I was so close to this brother. Whether it was at church, whether it was hanging out at his home, he had a basement in his, or he had a studio in his basement. Specifically for guys like me, we'd make Christian hip hop music. Oftentimes it was horrible, but we did it and it was fun and it was something to do. And this man invested in that because he invested in people like me. and He gave me so much of his time to the point where he literally had a key made. He didn't have a big house or anything like that. He had what he had. But everything that he had, he used for God's glory. They had a key made, and he gave it to me. He said, "Man, just you know, just sometimes, man, if we're gone, you need to use the studio or something. And the fridge is open, man. You just go 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 on down there, man. It's all you." This man discipled me in doctrine, in teaching, told me what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, and he taught me according to the scriptures on what it means to follow Christ. This man spent not hours of his life, not days of his life, not weeks of his life, not months of his life. He spent years of his life teaching young men like me to be a follower of Christ and what that looks like to be a loving husband and a patient father who is, who is present in the lives of their children. And what did he do? He simply made himself available. He simply made himself available to God and to others who God would bring into his life. And what did I do? What was my role? I simply had to humble myself to know I needed to sit at his feet. Sit at his feet and learn what it looks like to be a man of God at an early age. And I'm forever indebted to that man and that man will always be a part of my story and I will thank him and thank God for him to the day I take my last breath. Second question this morning, you may be asking this, but pastor, why would I wanna be (laughs) a disciple maker? Why would I wanna be a disciple maker? I I do have some hard news for you, and I don't want this to to discourage you, but this is the reality. If this is a question and you're a Christian here, I'm not talking, there might be people in here still investigating the faith, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to the, the believers in here, people who would say, I'm a disciple. And we're asking, why would I wanna be a disciple maker? If this is a question you're seriously having to ask, you may not be a disciple, you, you may not be a disciple. I don't have to demand of my daughter to go to Chuck E. Cheese's and spend twenty dollars on games and five dollars on sugary candy. She's simply convinced that that is in her nature, that she wants to do that. I don't have to convince her of that. She's all in on Chuck E. Cheese. Okay, she's all in on the cotton candy that they sell at exorbitant price. I mean, the horrible prices, and I pay for it. I'm happy to pay for it and happy to hopefully get those teeth loosened up so we can get the adult ones coming in right I don't have to I don't have to twist my daughter's arm to go to Chuck E. Cheese if Christ has made you new and you are a believer and you have been born again you've been given a new nature the old is gone the new is here a pastor a teacher or the Holy Spirit himself, shouldn't have to twist your arm to be a disciple maker. This is who you are simply called to be. Our nature should be that of a disciple maker. It's a simple part of our nature. Do you desire to be a disciple maker? I pray that you do. Now, I'm not saying there aren't seasons of your life where you might feel like it isn't worth it. I mean, I've gone through seasons where I feel like I'm pouring into people and I'm like, I'm not seeing any fruit on those trees. And I'm a little concerned. And there are seasons where I get discouraged and I feel like, man, I'm getting weary and worn down. But if you're examining your life as a Christian and you can't see any disciples that you've helped to raise up who are now making disciples and you've been in the faith 10, 20, 30 plus years, that's a major tragedy. And it's happening all over this nation. We've become really good at playing the cultural Christian card. We're really good at coming to church sometimes. And sometimes we're really good at doing some things that look Christ-like. But are we really good at living it and living like our Messiah, living like Jesus? This commission to make disciples was given to every Christian. It just wasn't a special assignment for a few of them. It was the call was for all. Go and make disciples. Teaching them, baptizing them, training them. In Titus 2, Paul commands the older women to train younger women. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy to train faithful men in the congregation so that they can also train others up. That's what he says. In Ephesians 6, Paul exhorts fathers to train up their children in the ways of God. In Matthew 28, he commands missionaries to make disciples, Jesus does here in 18 through 20, of all nations. In Hebrews 3, the author commands all Christians to exhort each other and build each other up every day. Peter and Paul, in their letters, command each Christian to use their gifts to build up and serve others for the sake of the gospel. The Great Commission, friends, listen to me, it applies to everyone. This isn't just church leadership here. This is everyone. You might be saying, well, pastor, I've served on the consistory four terms. One, I'll just say this in advance, I'm sorry, okay? Well, that's hard sometimes, and in different seasons, it may be harder than others. But secondly, if serving on a church leadership team doesn't mean you're lead, if it doesn't add up to leading the way and helping to make disciples, then you're, we're just doing clerical work. We're just crossing T's and dotting I's. We want it. To mean we are making disciples and we are leading the way and making disciples and helping others to make disciples who make disciples, disciple cycles. The Great Commission applies to everyone. Jesus said this in John 15, verse 8. He said, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How do you prove you are a disciple? By bearing much fruit in this area as well as others in the Christian life. And if we're not bearing fruit, we have reason to question whether we're really disciples at all. And part of that bearing fruit is making disciples who in turn make disciples and you could envision there the cycle. A movement of disciple-making disciples was God's plan for reaching the entire world. His plan for reaching the entire world is not through talented preachers, simply, who can help rile people up, bring people in, get them baptized, added to the church. That, that, That was not the goal or the plan. He uses people. He uses weak men and Women like me, to, to speak his word and to encourage and edify and build others up, yes. But his plan from the very beginning was to use all of us, ordinary folk, like all of us here, to go and reach the world. That was his plan. In Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus shared, truly I tell you, among those born of women, that's, that's all of us, here, just for the record, those of us born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than, can anyone feel that? John the Baptist, that was Jesus' homeboy, yet wh- whoever is least in the kingdom, Jesus says, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So he says, listen, th- there's been none greater than John the Baptist, yet... Whoever is least in the kingdom is greater than John the baptizer. Least in the kingdom means that his spirit living within the weakest vessel is still more powerful than the most eloquent speaker without the spirit. It's not about ability, but it's about availability. There isn't a ranking system in heaven There are people who are poured out for the glory of God to be used as instruments of God. And that's all of us, it is to be all of us. Why would I wanna be a disciple maker? Because Jesus joyfully has invited all those who are available and willing to partner with his spirit, to join his mission, to lead a life that is of great adventure. Friends, I, like I, I can't imagine another life. I can't imagine living another life. We were here two weeks ago. It was two weeks ago, Mother's Day, and seeing new people come into faith and seeing people be baptized and and just celebrating people giving hugs and tears and everything else and i thought to myself and i sat down there in the front row with another elder i said could you imagine living another life could you imagine just like i'm not going to be a disciple i'm just going to go do my own thing spend my own time doing my own thing get a lot more rounds of golf in Do that, I wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't get any better, but you could do that. I'm just gonna do my own thing, spend my resources the way I wanna spend my resources. This is the most joyful life in the entire universe. I promise you, it is the most joyful life that we have in the entire cosmos. A few years back, I was reading a book called Multipliers by Todd Wilson. In his book, he shares this concept of church leaders seeing the congregation as deployed missionaries. You are all deployed missionaries in your own area of influence. Not simply members who pay a fee, enjoy the show, and serve on occasion, but you are employed missionaries, missionaries who are missionally engaging people who they are rubbing shoulders with on a regular basis. And he writes this, and I pulled this quote out. A church without deployed missionaries is most likely an ever-engaging cruise ship filled with cultural Christians. An ever-engaging cruise ship. We're just here for the entertainment. We're just here because we think we need to be here or we should be here. And then we get off and we go and we live our life. In all of this, I also want to be incredibly gracious because this is a hard message. This is a challenging message. For some of you, this is new territory. For some of you, you you haven't even heard this invite in such a way. Like you haven't seen this lived out. You have abstract teaching. You've heard that regarding this, but this has not been something that you have seen lived out before you. And I'll just be honest, for me, if I didn't have someone like Aaron Clark, who stepped into my life and allowed me to sit at his feet and follow him, and if he wasn't gonna pour into me the way in which he did, I don't know where I'd be. And so I wanna be incredibly gracious. Some of you haven't had an Aaron. Some of you haven't had that, so you haven't seen it. We're just used to doing it the way we've seen it all of our lives. And the truth is, this is, this is better caught than taught, but also it's mandated in scripture, so I also wanna be real, at the end of the day, there's still gonna be no excuses. Let's break the cycle. Let me ask again, are you a disciple? I mean, an actual disciple of Jesus Christ. You not only want to know what he knew and listen to what he taught, but you want to do what He did. You want to live like him. Can I be real with you? What, what, what concerns me most as your pastor is not that one day you're going to be fired-up atheists, We're going to be leading masses of people into atheism. I'm not concerned about that so much. I'm more concerned that many of you will never really become an actual disciple. And we'll coddle that here, and we'll allow that, and we'll kind of massage that. Be like, "Eh, that's okay, just relax. I can ask you, are you a Christian? Maybe you would say yes, certainly most of you would say yes. But if I asked you, are you a disciple? You would know that that means more, and maybe you would hesitate. Maybe you'd say, I don't know. That's what would worry me most about being a pastor. Not that we can't attract crowds, bring people in and even get the front half done, which is baptism and people added to the church. I think we could do that really well over 150 plus people in the last like 16 months, counting their children. I mean, there's been a movement of that here big time. And There's also been a huge discipleship movement. that happens a little bit more in the background, led by our discipleship director, Heather Meckes. But I still worry there's so much more, so many more who got to get involved in this. I was just looking at an email from Cookie I think she sent it last night or the day before maybe, and there was all these, all these mentors with all these students. You know, we're very involved with Kids Hope here, and Cookie's our director, and they were, they were literally having fun in the trampoline park. For some of you, that just has like ER visit written all over it. But they were having a bunch of fun in the trampoline park. In, the, in these mentors who've been pouring into these students, some of them three, four years, we're hanging out and having fun with the, with these students. And let me tell you a little bit: it's way more than having fun and, and bouncing around in a trampoline park for these mentors. It's about these students who are clinging so tightly to their mentor that they want the dust of the ground to brush off on them. And they wanna not only know what their mentors know, but they wanna do what their mentors do. It's a big deal. Are you in on that? So let me ask this third question as we conclude this morning. Are you a disciple? And then here's the caveat. If yes, are you a disciple maker? It's so okay, you're saying, yeah, I, I'm a disciple. I not only wanna know what Jesus knew and listen to what Jesus taught, but I wanna do what Jesus did. Are you a disciple maker? Are you intentionally bringing someone else along as a disciple? Interesting, in the New Testament, the verb make disciples applies to both helping someone with the initial act of conversion as well as helping them grow as a follower after conversion. We're called to be involved in all of that and for our mission that is the more and the better. The more is bringing them in, the more is seeing them added to the church, being baptized, that's the more. And the better is them becoming a disciple maker. We're not just content with this front half. We also want better disciples who are going to go out and make disciples, who make disciples, disciple cycles. And it doesn't matter if you're still growing yourself or even if you're a brand new Christian. Every disciple of Jesus can be a disciple maker. I think when I heard the call of God at the age of 17, I heard it initially at 13, embraced it, then ran from it, then came back to it face, face first all in at 17. I was just, I wanted everything. I wanted it all. I wanted to just give away everything for it. And I think sometimes what can happen, a lot of you have that same experience, but sometimes what can happen is you could just get in a Christian bubble and be like, "Eh, I'm kinda just cool with a little bit here. I don't wanna go too crazy. I remember having people close to me who would say, John, I wanna be a Christian, but I don't think I'll ever wanna take it to the level that you take it to. And they were telling me that honestly. And I was probably 21 at the time. You want to know one of my greatest fears? Is that no one would ever say that to me again. Because I've maybe ceased from taking it to that extreme, to that level. Because I've just been good at being cultural. I fit in really well. I kind of do what I do pretty well and then move on with life. And it doesn't matter if you're brand new here. You can can get in this today and be a part of it. I want to encourage you, once again, I just want to say this, I do not want to beat you up over the head with this. I pray you don't feel battered and beaten up over this unless it's the Holy Spirit convicting you. I don't wanna be a part of of just being someone who beats people over the head with the Bible for the sake of beating them over the head with the Bible. That's That's not my mission. That's not Christ's mission. You may be asking, how can I start? How can I get in this? First, pray, and then pray again and keep praying. Ask God to reveal who it is you need to be connecting with so that you can pour into them for the advancement of the kingdom then prayerfully the hope is over time they would then begin to pour into someone else and the cycle begins. All because God invited you to join him in bringing his kingdom here in Western Michigan as it is in heaven and you said yes. Over this upcoming season of ministry, we're gonna actually have a major church-wide initiative Just be on the lookout for it. It's not coming yet, but it's coming soon. We're getting some things in order before we bring this to a church-wide initiative that is going to help put some language to this and also some resources to this initiative. But until then, I would just ask you to be in prayer and allow God to minister to your hearts, okay? We can do this, let's pray. Father God, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be a part of a gathering, a part of a people who I believe have an appetite to hear this type of a challenging message from your word. I'm grateful also that I can just share my heart with them and say, man, there are seasons where I fail miserably at this. There are seasons where I can get so invested in abstract truth and just knowing to know instead of going to go. And so Father, I pray that as a culture here, we would be a culture of disciple making disciples, that we would be serious about making more disciples, but not only more, but better disciples, that we would train others up, that this would be a force for your kingdom here in Coopersville, Michigan, and that maybe if you would even have us, we would even go beyond that all over Western Michigan, all over the nation, all over the world perhaps. We want whatever you have for us. God, would you help us in this? We love you and we thank you. We worship you this morning. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.